Well, I've been taking a survey in every service. Uh, how many are barbecuing tomorrow? Let me see your hands. Today or tomorrow? Barbecue. All right. How, many, how about ribs? Who's making ribs? Okay. Uh, please keep, raise your hand one more time there. Linnell, look around, honey. There's a couple. We could go to him for lunch, and we could go over there for dinner. Okay. Praise the Lord. Well, if you've got your Bible, Psalm 33, verse 12, it is a, what I think the scripture that um, gives context to the biblical heritage of our nation. You know, it was 245 years ago that a number of men, of course their wives, in support, their children, they put their lives on the line. They were literally standing against the greatest superpower of their day. It's like a small nation standing against Russia or China. And uh, the American, the colonies, 13 colonies, they basically said to Great Britain, we're going to be a free nation. And this is our declaration, and this is why. And we remember that today. As Americans today, we certainly know that we are not perfect as Americans. Never, we have never been. But how many know there's no perfect nation on the earth? How many know there's no perfectly righteous person or people on the face of the earth? Uh, we are blessed, friends, and our blessing is not by chance. It is not an accident. But I suggest to you that we are enjoying the blessings of God. The Bible says in Psalm 33, verse 12, say this with me, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Let's say that again. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I will show you today through source documents of America's past that our founders were deeply committed, not just to religion in general, but the bulk were deeply committed to Jesus Christ and the Bible. And they gave us this nation. They literally invited God to come and be the centerpiece in the nation. Uh, it, it was affected in our laws. It was affected in our traditions and our holidays. And it produced the greatness that we enjoy. You know, America has provided more personal and religious freedom to any nation on the earth in the history of the world. We have fought in wars. And when we fought wars, we didn't go and claim the lands and put our flag on their nation. Uh, we simply took a little land to bury our dead. Uh, we have, we're not in the conquest mode as, as, uh, as Americans historically. Uh, but we have, our freedoms are under assault in America. There are powerful people, powerful forces that are trying to take away from us the freedoms that we enjoy today and make us a less free nation. Um, I've entitled this message, America's Christian Heritage. It's my fifth year to do the message. I modify it each year just a little bit to kind of bring it in touch with the times. But uh, you will find in some of this uh, lots of Bible, uh, but lots of quotes. Uh, if this interests you or you want to go back and see it, I've got 39 different references to source documents for quotes for our founders. Because America is very confused today about what our founders were like and who they were. There's, there's, you just, you, you, you'll hear most of what I will tell you today. If you've not heard it from the pulpit before, you will may never hear it in our culture today. You won't hear it on our major news channels. You won't hear it coming from Hollywood. Nonetheless, source documents reveal that the, 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 the viewpoint that I'll share about America's past is valid and true. Uh, so, but some will be controversial. Some will kind of touch you a little bit. Maybe you'll feel like, well, where did he get that? And why is he saying that? Just hang with me, okay? Just hang with me because I have a deep, deep settled conviction that I want to speak the truth. Not just what I Google in the first three or four things that come up, but I want to be able to find truth and convey it to you from a biblical perspective. We're going to talk today about three things. We're going to talk about the faith in God of our founders. 
we're going to contrast their biblical views to modern culture. That's the big way my message will differ this year is I'm going to spend a little more time contrasting to our culture and kind of help us understand it. And lastly, very practically, what we can do to preserve our freedoms in America. So I think it'll be a blessing to you. And I want to start by looking at our founders' faith uh, and see how to influence the founding of America. But I want to dive right into the fact that there's a movement in America to, to discredit our founders and replace the Constitution because of our original sin of slavery. We'll talk about that with you today. Let's look first. How many know a picture tells a thousand words? How many have been to the Capitol in Washington, our, our nation's capital? If you've been through the rotunda, you perhaps have seen some of these pictures. Uh, now, these pictures were placed about 70, 80 years after the Declaration of Independence. But th uh, this is a picture of Pocahontas. Uh, she, this, she was the first Christian convert in Virginia, and this is her baptism. Now think about that. This is, our, this is the Hall of Congress. This is what early America gave us, a picture of Pocahontas' baptism. This is Hernando de Soto. He's at the Mississippi River, and he's erecting a cross, dedicating the land to God. You hear a lot of different things about him, but you don't hear this very often. The third picture I'd show you uh, is a picture of the early pilgrims, and they are praying around the Geneva Bible in, before they left Holland. They were coming to America for religious freedom. Now, uh, it saddens me that with these pictures and their undeniable Christian history, there's a National Archives Task Force on Racism. And it condemns these rotunda paintings for what they call structural racism and calls the paintings oppressive and exclusionary. I'm going to bring a message to you today to show you that they're wrong. I'm going to bring a message today to show you that the modern view of slavery that we hear today in America's past, and how many know slavery can never be justified for any reason? Did you realize there are 40 million people around the world that are enslaved today? 40 million and most of those that are in slavery today, some kind of bondage, uh, it's in sexual, sex trafficking in America today. But it is around the world in which we live today. Um, I, I, I want to, let me read some founding documents to you. Uh, I want to read a perspective to you called The Founding Fathers in Slavery by Wall Builders. Uh, if you know uh, David Barton and Wall Builders, uh, he has one of, if not the largest collection, larger than any other museum, I believe, of original documents of America's history. And here's what he writes. He says, slavery was not introduced in America by the founding fathers. Well, that's a shocker right off the bat. And if you study a little deeper in history, slavery came to America 200 years earlier by the Spanish, by the, by the nation of Spain. But yet even before that, Indian tribes, when they would defeat another tribe, would take some of their people to be slaves in their own community. Uh, slavery's been around uh, a, a long time. Actually, we'll hear today that slavery has been in virtually every civilization in the world, and it's wrong everywhere that it is. Now, Barton makes a statement. He said the Revolutionary War was the turning point to get rid of slavery. Now, that's a profound statement because that is not what we hear. Uh, many of our founders complained that Great Britain forcefully imposed upon the colonies the evil of slavery. Clearly, there were slave owners in America. Clearly, they were wrong. But there was an impetus from Great Britain before we became a free nation that set this in motion in a deeper way. Uh, Thomas Jefferson made this comment. He said, King George III of England has waged cruel war against human nature itself. 
Now he's talking about slavery. We, uh, 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 King George has violated people's most sacred rights of life and liberty. That phrase that he drew from the Declaration of Independence, these sacred rights of a distant people carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere. Uh, Benjamin Franklin wrote in a letter to Dean Woodward, uh, he said, um, uh, he confirmed that whenever Americans had attempted to end slavery, the British government tried to thwart those attempts. Now think about that. So there was an abolitionist movement in America uh, going on at the time of the founders. And before the founders, England itself would perpetuate and make sure slavery continued. John Adams, the sixth president. And this is, this is a big one. He says, the inconsistency of slavery with the principles of the Declaration of Independence. In other words, he said, he's basically saying, the Declaration of Independence is a document of freedom. And slavery is just the opposite of that. And it's freedom for all people, not just select people. Uh, he goes on to say, this was lamented by all the Southern patriots of the revolution. I was taught in school even many years ago that it was the Southern people that were the plantation owners and they were the evil people and they were the ones that espoused slavery. But our sixth president said not one of the Southern patriots he'd ever heard from their lips one syllable to justify the institution of slavery. They saw, and this is profound, that before the principles of the Declaration of Independence, slavery was destined sooner or later to be banished from the earth. Now, what does that mean? That when the Declaration of Independence was written, America and the world were not perfect places. But because of the godly principles, the biblical principles in that declaration, slavery would be ended in America, and it was, thank God, and slavery would be ended uh, around the world as America has been an institution of freedom. Now, obviously, my presentation is different this morning. I'm reading a lot of quotes because I don't, I don't have them memorized in my head, but I want to share with you from history. Listen to what a modern economist, if you've ever heard of Charles Sowell, uh, Thomas Sowell, uh, an African-American brilliant man, uh, economist from Stanford, he writes these words. He says, while slavery was common to all civilizations, only one civilization developed a moral revulsion to slavery. Guess who he's talking about? Western civilization. He's talking about America. He says, the principal impetus for the abolition of slavery came first from conservative religious activists. In other words, the people that were most interested in stopping the horrible scourge of slavery were Christians, deeply committed Christians. And that was the outworking of our faith based on what Jesus said, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he, he, he gives some insight to us that tells us why we are mostly in the dark. He says, this story is not politically correct in today's terms. And because of that, it's ignored as if, as if it never happened. And I want to suggest to you that there is a deliberate attempt to erase a portion of our American history, to, to disparage people that don't fit a modern agenda, to change what was so that they can change what is. Uh, do you know many of our founders never owned slaves? Uh, what's pictured today is you've got all these uh, greedy white men and they're sitting around drinking and smoking and raping girls and, and, uh, and, and they just want to take advantage of, of people that uh, were black in that case as slaves. John Adams says something totally different. He says, my opinion against slavery has always been known. Never in my life did I own a slave. Never in my life did I own a slave. However, uh, uh, some of the founders did but they released the slaves when they were separated from Great, Great Britain. And one in particular is George Washington. 
Now, these are facts that are undeniable, but let me share some opinion now, and if you don't like it, throw it away. Uh, but uh, I would really like it if you disagree, not just with me as a person, but if, if I am saying something from the pulpit uh, with a Bible in front and a cross on it, and I'm missing it, if I'm wrong in anything, write me a little note, write me a text, but don't send me a news article from Yahoo, or don't send me a copy of a modern-day history book. Just give me a Bible verse. Give me some kind of source documents in history. And, uh, because, you know, we live in a world today that there are many, many intelligent people, particularly in our universities, and their starting place is wrong. For example, if I'm going to university and I'm going to learn the sciences and, the, and, and my professor in whatever, physics or my professor in a medical science, if, if her starting place is there is no God, there's got to be something that stems from that that she's going to say is wrong. She'll have a lot to say that's right, but there, be, there has to be something that's wrong in the midst of it. Um, uh, back to John. Back to, let me share a little opinion. Um, let's see. Though George Washington had owed slaves, he did release those slaves. The question we must ask ourselves, does that negate the great sacrifices that he made for our freedom today? Because he did something wrong. Now, there was another great reformer in America, Martin Luther King, did more for the civil rights movement in America, and I applaud what he did. He was a Christian minister. He preached the gospel. God elevated him. But you don't have to look very far to find in, in, in history that he was a serial adulterer. In other words, he was a minister, but yet he, he sinned sexually, but yet we don't throw him away because of the good that he did to advance a just cause. How many know there are no perfect people? And broken people all over the world are doing good things that are helping people. But yet today, when it comes to anything that seems to touch the institution of slavery, we want to wipe it all away. We want to get rid of those paintings. Uh, we want to get rid of all of it. But the problem is they don't tell us what they want to replace it with. Now, I'm going to talk to you about that a little bit. We don't throw great leaders away because they make mistakes. These founders weren't perfect, but they gave us the greatest bastion of freedom in world history. Racism is wrong, uh, 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 just racism, racial slurs, slavery, but it's not the unpardonable sin. If it was the unpardonable sin, God would have never saved the man who wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton, a slave captain, captain of a slave ship, God saved the man and he wrote the most popular religious song in the history of the world. Listen, uh, again, let me state unequivocally, slavery of the past and present is wrong. And we should do everything in our power to, uh, to, to, to stop it if it's happening now, to make amends if it's happened in the past. But how many know well, there was a war fought over slavery in America, friends? People gave their lives for people so people could be free. Uh, it is a mistake today, friends, to cast away our freedom and replace the Constitution with socialism or communism. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let me give you our founder's view of the Bible in Jesus Christ. Now, now let's listen to what these men said. Uh, uh, President Andrew Jackson, the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. Our representative democracy, three branches of government, it rests on the Bible. Uh, the first Supreme Court Justice, John Jay, said this, The Bible is the best of all books, for it is the Word of God. It teaches us how to be happy in this world and the next. President Supreme Court Justices acknowledging the role of the Bible as the guiding force of life. Now, people might look back and say, Boy, America always has problems. That's because not everybody believes the Bible. 
How many know there's a lot of people that don't? Just like today, there's a lot of people that don't. But the Bible has the power to transform lives and change lives. And these men that gave us this nation believed it. Check this out. 1781, there was a man, Robert Aiken, and he asked for Congress. Now, now think about the audacity of this. To print Bibles to be given away in schools. What are we told today? Oh, you can't do that. Separation of church and state. That's, that's either said out of ignorance or outright lying. Did you know the phrase separation of church and state is not in the Constitution? It was in a, a document, a letter written by um, Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Association. And if you remember in their day, they came out of England, which there was a state church. And when they came to America, they wanted religious freedom to worship as they pleased or not worship. Uh, but what they were saying is, look, Thomas Jefferson, we're scared that we're going to have a state church here. And he wrote back a letter. And basically he said, no way, babe, no way. He said, there's a wall that separates the separation of church and state, and it's an impenetrable wall. But he described it as a wall where the church would still have liberty, where the church would still be free, not as a wall that would keep the church out of the state. See, he wanted to keep the state out of the church not the church out of the state. Um, anyway, but guess what Congress did with that? Congress, uh, it, it, they, they made an endorsement and they printed it in the front of these Bibles that they gave to kids, resolved that the United States and Congress recommend this Bible to the inhabitants of the United States. Now that, my friend, would change a person's life. One of the horrible things that's happened in American education is in the 60s, our Supreme Court made a bad decision. And how many know they make bad decisions sometimes? They removed the Ten Commandments from the walls of our schools. The Ten Commandments said, Thou shalt not murder. The Ten Commandments implied accountability to God for your actions. Kids are not taught now that they'll stand before God and give an account for their life. And it's part of the reason that we're having the problems that we have today. Listen to what Newsweek said, a Newsweek magazine, 1982. Now, that's only 40 years ago. They said historians are discovering that the Bible, perhaps even more than the Constitution, is our founding document. Newsweek magazine. The Bible is our founding document. So what's happened, friends? I'll tell you what's happening. Forces in America are revising history. They want to get rid of statements like that because they don't fit where we're going. Uh, listen to what two of our founders said about Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, Sam, Samuel Adams, not the beer guy, okay? But Samuel Adams, the one who signed the declaration, uh, said, I rely on the merits of Jesus Christ for a pardon of all my sins. Uh, uh, John Witherspoon, he signed as well, Jesus Christ is the only Savior of sinners. If you've not reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, you're going to forever perish. Now, these were the men that signed the declaration that brought us freedom. Let, let, let's, I want to I take these ideas now, and I want to talk about race and equality. I want to take a biblical foundation and see how the founders embraced it and see how our culture is in direct opposition. Race and equality. Uh, let's first talk from the Bible uh, for a discussion of race. Uh, Acts 17, 26 is a great starting place. It says, God made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind. God made Adam, and from Adam came every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. So what does that mean? In a foundational sense, we are not 
African-Americans, Caucasians, Hispanic-Americans, uh, uh, Asian-Americans. We are human beings, come on now, created by the same God who have the same blood that flows through our veins. And irregardless of the color of our skin, we are created by God, and we are created as brothers and sisters. And the Bible even takes it a step further. If you're looking for unity, Jesus is the place to go. Galatians 3 says there's no longer Jew or Gentile. This was the great social, uh, 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 social divide of their day. There's neither slave nor free, the economics, male nor female, the gender. You are all what? One in Christ Jesus. So listen, God has created us as human beings, all a part of the family of God, all deserving respect, all deserving dignity, all deserving honor, uh, and that should be the starting place of racism. But if your starting place is I'm putting you in a box, I'm putting you in a black box, and I'm going to put me in a white box, and she's in an, in an Asian box, and, uh, and, 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 and who else we got here? Uh, you're in a Hispanic box, and these boxes fight against each other. I mean, that's a political philosophy to get us fighting each other. I hear very little in the social media and press about forgiveness. I hear very little about confession of sins. I hear very little about uh, hands extended to love one another. I hear very little about the second commandment of Christ. And, and it's, I think it's on purpose because the goal is not to unite us, but it's to use these things that divide us to foster an ungodly agenda. That's an opinion. Uh, let me talk about the founder's view of race and equality a second. The Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, men being not just a, a, a masculine, but a, a generic term for humanity, all men are created, created by God to be equal. And you say, well... One of the arguments is, well, they didn't make people equal. Women didn't have the right to vote. Uh, blacks were slaves for a great many number of years in America. Maybe the reason is similar to what Paul, when Paul dealt with slavery. You know, the apostle Paul dealt with slavery in the New Testament. Have you ever read what Paul said? Paul said, slaves do what? Obey, Obey your masters. You would think, well, what a horrible thing. Why didn't he just say, in Christ we're free, you walk away from your slavery? Well, I'll tell you why. Do you know that two-thirds of the world in their day, two-thirds, and most of the early Christians were slaves? And there were slaves because, for example, when the Assyrians would come in and they would destroy your nation, they'd take your nation away, what would happen was, is, is you, let's say if you were an architect or a doctor or a teacher, they would just take you away from your homeland and make you a slave doctor or a slave architect. So it was not a demeaning, just menial chores kind of things, and most of the world was governed by these, uh, by these overarching, overwhelming dictators. And uh, maybe, maybe uh, it was the same thing that was happening in America. Maybe it was this document envisioned what could be in America. Not just what was that day, but what could be. And you know what? It, it happened. Because slavery has been abolished in America. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Uh, slave, women have uh, equal rights under law, the right to vote, as they should have. I mean, no, these are all products, as our founders would say. They were seeds in the Declaration of Independence. Now, that's our founders' view. But how about our cultural view of race and equality? Let me give you some definitions here that, that are just out there in the world that we would all, I think, agree to. Uh, but I want to talk about one in particular, uh, and it's called critical race theory. 
It's, it's, you're hearing it everywhere now. Uh, you're hearing it uh, talked about on ESPN. It's been in colleges for a long, long time. Uh, and now uh, parents across America are coming against their school boards for its teaching. And it took me a while to be able to figure out what in the world are they talking about here. But let me give you some simple definitions that I think work with this. Critical de uh, race theory, number one, uh, is Marxist in nature. Now, anything that stems from a communist I have questions about it. Um, I have questions about it. But listen, here's what critical race theory is. It's a political philosophy that views society as oppressors and the oppressed. In other words, all of us are in two groups. You're either an oppressor, which means you're over people, you take advantage of them, you hurt them, or you're oppressed. You're one that's been taken advantage of, and the government's role is to make us all equal. And oppressors, here's what, here's what the culture tells us, all white people are oppressors of everybody else. All white people are bad, and I happen to be white. And my first response for a long time was is to think about the things that I do and the things that we do as the church that are just the opposite from that. It's just this little picture of Grace House that they showed today, you know, uh, uh, an interracial congregation. But then I realized that the world doesn't care about the facts because it's an agenda to get something accomplished that they want accomplished. Again, their goal is not to help us get along and love each other as Jesus talked about. Their goal is literally, I believe, to change the Constitution and give us a new America, but they don't tell us what they want America to become. Clearly, the actions that are taken are actions of socialism. Socialism is taught in our schools. If you'll uh, do a survey of millennials, many, many millennials will think it's a great thing. Uh, our government is just about to, as I understand, start giving away to every parent that has a child in the home $250 a month for every child in the home. Now, that sounds good on the surface, but that's exactly what they did in communist Russia to make the people dependent on the government and take away individual liberties and individual freedoms. Uh, they, they, they don't talk about failed socialist states like Venezuela. You know, Venezuela was the most prosperous nation in, 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 their, in their part of the world there in South America, but now it's one of the poorest because they became socialist. They don't talk about the fact that in communist nations, and see, look at it this way. Freedom is like there is 100% freedom and there's zero freedom of the individual. Our form of government is somewhere over here. Our form of economics is somewhere over here. Communism, communist China is right here. Communist Russia is right here. Socialist nations are a little close to it. But it's all a continuum of freedom. And we're looked at that socialism is a great thing. But what they don't tell us is that communism, which is just more control beyond socialism, communism is responsible for murdering 100 million citizens in the last 100 years because they disagreed with what the powers that be wanted to force on them. So again, now, and what I believe is I believe all of this is an intent to literally fundamentally change America as founded, and I believe an antichrist spirit is behind it. If you look in the book of Revelation, you see that one day on planet Earth, there's going to be a one-world government. Well, here's the deal. You cannot have a one-world government if you have a free and sovereign America. So whether this is the time that the Antichrist appears, it could be. But let me tell you what I'm praying and believing for. I'm believing and praying for a spiritual awakening that's going to start on one coast and go to the other, that's going to start at Canada and go down to Mexico. 
And I want to pray that the same thing. Listen, when I was 17, 18, and 19, I was just a wild little hellion. I was, every time I went somewhere, there was beer in the car. There was something to smoke, and it wasn't a cigarette. Um, and unlike Mr. Clinton, I did inhale. Okay, I need to confess that publicly and up front. Uh, listen, uh, you know, lots of girlfriends. You understand what I'm saying. Uh, but something happened to me. Thankfully, my mother made me go to church. And a little lady named Julia Guy in a Methodist church taught me John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And at 19 years of age in a Navy boot camp, I had tears in my eyes, put my pillow over my face and said, Jesus, would you forgive me? I give you my life and I want you to change me. And I have never been the same. I have never been the same. My life is better. My wife, listen, I have a happy life, friends. And I want to tell you, God can do this. He didn't love me any more than he loves the millions of people in America that have just gone insane, that are crazy, that are riding on our streets, and that are in so much sin and immorality in America today. Jesus loves all of them. He died for all of them. What we need is a spiritual awakening in America. Well, anyway, let's go back to the revolution while we're celebrating this uh, tomorrow, uh, or today, really, is the 4th. God in the American Revolution. Let me read again an, a, a longer part of this Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, all people are created equal and they're endowed by their... This is God. God we're, has given us as human beings certain unalienable rights. An unalienable right is a right that cannot be taken away. It is a right that is given every human being, be they black, white, oriental, or Hispanic, or anything in between. It is a right they have given, that God has given, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Where do you think they get those principles? From the Bible. They didn't just make them up. Uh, and notice what it says. To secure these rights, to make sure that we're free, to make sure that we have life. That's why the right to life movement in America wants life for the child in the womb. It's a biblical concept. That's why we have governments. Governments are instituted among men, deriving their power from the consent of the governed. In other words, we the people, that's how our constitution starts out, we the people are the boss. But what's happening in America is government, centralized government has more and more power. Your local school district has less and less power because there's more power either in the state or in the federal government system and local parents have less say, have no say over their textbooks. You see, this is the world that we live in uh, today. You know, the, this is kind of funny uh, as far as how widespread Christianity was during the revolution. Uh, there was a British governor wrote home to mama in Great Britain, and here's what he said. He said, if you ask an American who's his master, he'll tell you he has none. Uh, he has no governor but Jesus Christ. Now think about that. This governor trying to whip the Americans, and, and, and he writes home to say there's so many of these Christian folk that uh, their governor is Jesus. Listen to what John, and, and this is probably what I think is the most profound quote in all of my message this morning as it relates to modern America. John Quincy Adams, our sixth president, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one insoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. Now think about that. A president said Christian principles influence government. But the lie that we're told of separation of church and state, did I tell you about that? I can't remember. 
I did. I've just my third sermon. The lie of church and state has said this should happen, and that's why we have no morality in our land. That's why they are destroying our dollar and our economy with borrowing and printing money that can never be repaid and making your money and my money worth less and less and less. I may not be a, conspirat a conspiratist, but I, I'll tell you this, friend. You see it happening before your very eyes. It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. It violates principles of the Bible, but it's happening by the powerful. But how many know the powerful? How many know even in one verse in the Bible, Jesus is, an angel is going to look at the devil and say enough, and he's going to hell in one day. The Antichrist gone in one day. They might have wreaked havoc, but I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and one day before him, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I don't know when they're going to bow. I will, yeah, it would make me happy if they started bowing today. Um, but anyway, that's a, this, is, this, is, this is our past. Let me, let me talk about education just a minute, and I'm going to skip a little section for our PowerPoint. But Christianity and early education in America, um, this, is a, this is a picture of a book called The New England Primer. Uh, this book was, uh, this is how uh, people, kids were taught to read uh, in not only our colonies, but for about 150 or more years in America is how children learn to read. The literacy rate in colonial America, very high. And as America grew, the literacy rate increased more and more, which simply means you, you know how to read. But here's how they learn their ABCs. It's pretty uh, powerful. This New England primer. For the letter A, in Adam's fall, we send all. The letter B, heaven to find the Bible mind. The letter C, Christ crucified. So children learned not only their ABCs, they learned the Bible, but hear this, they learned concepts of right and wrong. And we don't have concepts of right and wrong today in America as we traditionally have had. I mean, I, I, there was a, a video, I don't know if you saw this, but it was, a, it was of a thief someone stealing from a Walgreens in uh, San Francisco and they're on a bicycle riding down the aisles of the Walgreens with a big black bag in their hand and they're taking stuff off the shelf and putting it in their bag. Security guard does nothing to stop them and then they ride right out of the store without paying. The DA won't prosecute because it's a misdemeanor under $950. Now I wonder how, it's probably a young man, how did, why did that young man do that? Because nobody told him, thou shalt not steal, and God's going to hold you accountable. You're going to stand before God one day and give an account for your life. The wisest man who ever lived on the planet, his name was Solomon outside of Jesus. And Solomon said, the whole duty of man is to fear God and obey his commandments because one day you're going to give an account before God. This is what's missing in America today. A, a, a shared sense of right and wrong. Right and wrong are not fluid. Listen, if Wikipedia has defined a word, and if the word changes because some politician needs to use it in a different way, they just change it. See, this is what happens when you have no moral absolutes. But uh, let's talk about literacy rates just a minute. This little reader was used till the middle of the 20th century, but then we switched to a reader called Dick and Jane. Now, that's what, how I learned to read with Dick and Jane. How many can remember that? 
that you were trained, and these are all older people now, you were trained with a Dick and Jane reader, and that's how you learned to read. But it, it was phonics-based. Uh, you still taught you how to read. But you know what it didn't have? It didn't have God, Bible, ABC. It didn't have a biblical morality in it. Uh, years later, uh, books like Heather Has Two Mommies were added to the curriculum. Now, let me tell you what's happened since the 60s. And if you're a pragmatic thinker, if you, don't, if you think what I'm saying now is just a bunch of hogwash, I want you to go back and I want you to research to see th what's happened since the 60s, to see how test scores have consistently gone down in schools. And here's what happens to make them artificially look better. Governors, like the governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, he recently said he wanted to lower test scores so less kids would fail. Test scores have gone down. Teen pregnancy has gone up. Crime has gone up. And there's a number of other indicators. Uh, the worst problems teachers used to fear uh, before the 60s was a kid's putting gum under their chairs. And today it's a kid teacher getting raped in school or getting beat up. What's happened? We've lost our morality. Uh, let's go back to the test scores, though. And I read this in the CNS News Today recently. Uh, it was talking about public schools. Uh, and before I read this, let me say... I know some of the some fine public school teachers and principals right here in Texarkana, USA. And if you're in our school systems, I applaud you for the work that you're doing. Um, yeah, give them a hand. I, I, I've got to be honest, I don't know what's being taught because my kids are older. And if you don't have influence over the curriculum or the textbook, and it's influenced by somebody in Washington that has a view, uh, a godless view, you better be careful what you get there. Listen, parents, you better be looking out careful what your kids are being taught in terms of sex education and race and everything else. But here's what they found. CNS said 65% of public school eighth graders were not proficient in reading. 65%. 67 can't do math. If you live in the city of Detroit, 5% cannot read. 5%, I'm sorry, 5% can read at a proficient level. 5%, 95% will graduate and can't even read their high school diploma in many cases. 7%. Don't, can't even add. So you know what they do? They're trying to change the rules of addition now so that whatever the student comes up with, I'm telling you now, this is insane, but it's right, saying that it's at two plus three is six. If that's what the student feels because of their race, it's gone insane. That makes me mad. Let me talk about colleges a minute. Do you realize 106 out of the first 108 colleges were built on Christian principles? And most of them were seminaries, trained ministers. Harvard. Now think about Harvard. If you send a kid to school, today what they're going to be taught in indoctrination, they're going to be taught about uh, 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 racial issues, about how not offend racially. They're going to talk, be taught sex education, uh, where the free condoms are, where the free birth control is. These are big, big, big priorities, and every high school, every college student knows it. But let me tell you what Harvard, in their early years, were taught. They had what was called the rule and precept of Harvard. The second rule was let every student be plainly instructed that the main end of his life in studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. The only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning is the Bible in Jesus Christ. Harvard University. Listen to what the Washington Times reports a Harvard professor said in 2016. 
He called for liberals to begin treating like Nazis those who subscribe to Christian or conservative beliefs. So now the good guys are the bad guys, and the bad guys are the good guys. This is the state of America. This is why we need a revival. Um, the advice of Dr. Benjamin Rush. He signed the Declaration of Independence, but more importantly, he was the founder of public schools in America. Listen to what he said. He said, the Bible should be read in our schools in preference to all other books because it contains the greatest portion of that kind of knowledge which is calculated to produce private and public happiness. That's the founder of our public schools, yet our Supreme Court a number of years ago said, Bible, out. Ten Commandments, we don't want them on our walls. We'd rather have metal detectors. America's changed and we need a spiritual awakening. But what can we do? I want to give you three guys, and I'll do this short. Paul the Apostle, Daniel the Prophet, and Jonah the Prophet. And you, can, you and I can imitate all three of these things. Here's the first one. Be like Paul and stand up for your rights and religious freedom as an American citizen. Paul the Apostle used his Roman citizenship to avoid being beaten. Acts chapter 22, verse 25, when they stretched out the whips, remember now, he's arrested. They don't know what the charges are, so they're going to beat it out of him. And he's strapped here, about to be beaten, and he said, excuse me, but is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? In other words, the right to trial. And when they realized he was a Roman citizen, they got scared to death and they started backpedaling real big. But here's what this guy did. He used his citizenship to protect his religious freedom. You say, well, okay, so what does it mean to us? You know the first thing Congress clarified in the Bill of Rights? The first freedoms before the freedom of the press, before the freedom of assembly, was the freedom of religion. Now, there's a reason for that. And here's what it says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. And then they usually stop because that's where they bring in the lie of separation of church and state. But the second part says Congress shall make no law prohibiting the free exercise of religion. And the word is free. We don't want to make everybody, you know, clap their hands like we do. We don't want to make people go to church. We're not trying to force people to do anything. But this is the, free, this is the right that we have. When we bought this building, it was very difficult because it's in a community plan development, and we had, I had to sign a lot of rules of things we would and wouldn't do just to live in the building. But they didn't have any rules of our worship. Are you with me today? But in China, they have lots of rules of your worship. This is why, listen, if you have a child and you go to a school, a public school, and that child is ever told they can't bring their Bibles to school or they can't pray over to your meal, you talk to me, we're going to find you a Christian lawyer, and we're going to win that. Don't, don't feel like you have to be uh, back down and be a jellyfish in life. You have been God-given freedoms, and until they're taken away fully and completely, we need to stand on behalf of those freedoms, not just for us, but for our children and for our grandchildren. Let me give you the second one. Be like Daniel and do what God says, even if it's unpopular or it costs you something. Now, remember the story. Do you know Daniel came as a slave when he came to, uh, uh, I think he was in Babylon, uh, Persia, wherever he was, but he came as a slave there. And yet God promoted him as a slave, and he becomes one of the senior vice presidents in all the kingdom. 
Now, they have a monarchy where the king is the ultimate law, but his buddies are jealous of him. And his buddy said the king should make a law, give orders that any person who prays to anyone except you, your majesty, will be thrown in the den of lions. And then Daniel, when he went home, he, what did he do? He prayed anyway. He prayed three times a day, even though they said he would die if he did it again. Well, I want to tell you what, friends, that's the kind of guts we need today. That's the kind of courage that we need to speak the truth, to speak it in love, as I'll talk about in a minute, but to be educated, to learn these things. Listen, you can go to our webpage and download these notes, not only confirming that what I said was true for those source documents, but to tell somebody else because nobody's telling them. But listen, when, you are, when your religious rights are beaten back or whatever, listen, it might cost you. It might cost your job. People have given to causes across America, and when the this group didn't like they gave it to the cause. They got fired. They lost their job. You may get deplatformed from Facebook. I mean, you know, go to Facebook jail. There may be consequences, but I want to tell you this. God had a man in Daniel that was advancing the kingdom of God in a pagan land. And when the king didn't want to put him in with the lions, but he did. And when he started letting down in there, the king said, Daniel, I hope you're going to be okay. And Daniel said, don't worry, chief. God's going to take care of me. And he got down in that little lion's den, and there's all these big lions laying around, and they're hungry, and they're going, meow, meow. And Daniel said, I'm sleepy, big boy. Can I lay my head on your pillow here? And Daniel went to sleep and slept like a baby. This is a true story. And he gets up the next morning, mostly of that. They didn't meow. But, but, but he got up the next morning, and the king is right there. They open the door and said, Daniel, did your God save you? And Daniel said, I'm okay, but I'm ready for a Crackle Bearer omelet. Can you get me out of here? And they lowered down the rope, took him out. And then the king, he realized what happened. He threw all the other people that had lied about Daniel in there. And this time they weren't playing kitty cat. This time they were ready for the Cracker Barrel treat and they got an omelet. So what, I'm, what am I saying? I'm saying some of us may make a stand for Christ and it costs us and it hurts us. It hurts us financially. It hurts our business, whatever the case may be. But some of us will make a stand for Christ, and we'll be like Daniel. God will have chosen us and apportioned us to go and expand the gospel and get a bigger audience to speak the truth. Because the reason people are doing these insane things in America is because they're lost. And sinners do what sinners do. Listen, I used to drink beer and chase women and smoke pot, but I don't do that anymore. Come on now. I am saved, redeemed, filled with the Holy Ghost, and I love my wife. And, but they're still where they were. And Jesus changes us. That's what our world needs, friends. It needs a transformation. And let me close with this last one. Be like Jonah. Speak the truth. And as the New Testament would say, speak the truth in love in hopes of a spiritual awakening. Now, I want to tell you, in, Dan in Jonah's day, um, Jonah didn't even want to go tell these people. But God told Jonah, he said, I want you to go to Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. 40, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight words. He didn't tell him to repent. He didn't do anything. He just said eight words and he walked across the whole city. And you know, the Bible says the whole city of Nineveh came to God. They repented. They put on sackcloth. It was 200,000 people. And the whole city, just because one person had the courage to speak the truth from a loving God in a non-judgmental, non-bigoted, not all that stuff, 
but in a way that says, I care about you and I love you and God loves you and God has a better way for your life. And my friend, God took that thing and God changed their world. And how many know the same God that changed Jonah's world is the same God that can change our world today? Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of praise. Let me give you one last quote. You know, our, 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 our Christian heritage is undeniable, but our future depends on us. You know, I, I published uh, my, uh, my, my sermon message, and uh, uh, somebody wrote back, and they said, uh, they said, yeah, that's just going to justify all the crime and the murder and the rape and, and all the pillaging and all that other stuff all those old evil people did. Well, you know what? There was a lot of crime and pillaging and rape, and it was all wrong. It was all sinful. But just because we've sinned in the past doesn't mean two things. Number one, God can't forgive us. And God can't use us again. And this is the hope that I bring for you today. There's hope for America, but there's hope for you. There's hope for me. No matter what we've done or how bad we've been, God can give us a brand new life worth living. Here's what our Supreme Court said less than 100 years ago, 1931. We are a Christian people. And you remember presidents recently that said America's not a Christian nation. Well, in some respects he wasn't. He was right. Because we don't act like one. But in 1931, the Supreme Court says we're a Christian people. According to one another, the equal rights of religious freedom. And that we would acknowledge with reverence the duty of our obedience to the will of God. And might we acknowledge that same thing today. Our duty for obedience to the will of God. I want you to stand up with me and we want to pray. What I've shared with you today is our past. It's well documented. You choose what you want to believe about things that I expressly told you was my opinion. But how many know if the Bible is the standard of truth in your life, there's really no question there. And if I read something from a historical document that's against what I'm hearing taught today, which one am I going to choose? But I want to ask you to bow your heads with me just a minute. And I want you to pray. I want you to pray first that we would be like Paul and just ask God right now say Lord help me be like Paul help me be willing to stand up for my rights of religious freedom as an American citizen I pray it never comes up but if it does if it's attacking my kids don't let me just say well we'll just quit or we'll just do this let me have the guts to do something about it Lord help us to be like Daniel and do what God says, even if it's not popular and even if it's cost us something. Because life on this earth is short and eternity is forever. Lord, help us be like Jonah. This is probably the most pertinent. Help us, Lord, have the courage to speak the truth in love. Whether it's about America and her founding, whether it's about individual and personal responsibility, Help us, Holy Spirit. Lift your hands to heaven. and Just say, Lord, this is hard for me. But I grieve for my nation. I grieve where we're falling. And I'm a little worried or scared about the future if you don't help us. And I want to ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill me now. You that are at home watching online, lift your hands to heaven and pray this. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me now with the same power that you gave the early church. They would be bold witnesses for Christ 
no matter the cost. And Holy Spirit, we want to pray for America now, not just as a landmass, but for the people in America. I pray that you would open the eyes of every spiritually blinded person, every person that's being manipulated by another person to use them for, for some uh, nefarious means. I just pray that their eyes would be open. I pray, God, that there would be freedom for every sex slave in America. Every young girl, every young boy, every person that's forced into it and has somebody controlling their life for money, I want to pray that you would set them free in America. If there are people, Lord, even living a sweatshop kind of life in America, I want to pray for freedom to come to them and you would help us have the same courage that Martin Luther King did. I want to pray for the right to life for the unborn. I want to pray, God, that they too would be able to enjoy and we would enter into the fight that is so emotional to so many people. I pray that we would stand for the right to life. But help us, Holy Spirit. God, we're asking for something that we can't do. We'll vote and do all those things, but we're asking, God, for the Holy Spirit to fall on America with a great awakening. We're asking you to pour out your Spirit on America, north, south, east, and west, all across this land, that God would touch and change the hearts of people and let it begin in the church house in America. Let it begin here in this house. And I pray this today as I bless my friends in Jesus' name. Well, God bless you. I love you. Thank you for coming today. Pastor Cole is going to close, or Pastor Travis is going to close. Amen. Hey, great weekend, right? Just a good come together in the house of the Lord to worship. Uh, listen, I want a prayer team to come up to the front. We want to make time to pray for you. If you have any needs, praying for yourself, praying for a family member. But you know, today, uh, a lot of people are going to barbecue. There's going to be fireworks that are going to be shot off as we remember uh, America's you know, basically saying, hey, we're, we're going to be free. And we remember all the things that led up to that. But maybe the most important question right now is, listen, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He's the only one that can bring freedom from sin. And if you're in this place today and, and you don't know that Jesus loves you, that he cares about you, if you never repented of your sins and put your trust in him, today you can do that. Maybe today is a day that you realize, hey, I've been kind of walking away from God or I've just been kind of checking out. Today is a day that you can say, you know, I'm going to re-engage. I'm going to commit to get closer to God. I'm going to commit to live for God. I'm going to commit to use the gifts and talents God has given me to help people. Listen, if that's you, I would love to pray with you right over there at that cross uh, as soon as, as I walk over there in a second. Listen, Jesus loves you. I'm grateful for the nation we live in. I'm grateful for the freedoms that we get, uh, the honor to 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 be around and to experience, but I'm even more grateful that Jesus loves me and cares about me and has a plan for my life. Anybody else out here today, grateful for the freedom in Christ. Amen. Listen, let's lift our hands for one more part of a song. Our prayer team is up here if you need prayer for any anything that you may need, or if you want to make sure your life is right with Christ, I'll be there right at the cross. God bless you. And to you are all things Oh, you deserve the glory
Welcome to be dismissed. But if you'd like, we're just going to continue in this time of worship that you are more than welcome to stay for. <laughs>